Deuteronomy chapter 2 and we look at that in a few moments but this, this week we have seen another piece being chipped off the rock of our Christian heritage on which this country was founded it's been a sad week listening to the news same sex couples will now be permitted to adopt babies you know it's an acknowledged fact that the most beneficial situation for any child is to be brought up in a traditional family but where that is not possible the next best alternative is to be brought up in a house where there is a husband and a wife and they can adopt babies where there's a mother figure and a father figure children need this where possible in their lives but from now on this will not be the case you know we have to admire the Roman Catholic Church's stance in their effort to enable their adoption societies not to have to make such placements although I was thinking about that the amount of child abuse which has taken place by the priests within the Roman Catholic Church and their, their attempts to cover it all up shows the other side of events in that church but nevertheless in this particular case they were brave in their efforts there was no parallel objection by any of the Protestant or Anglican societies which was only unfortunately to be expected there are two uh, Anglican archbishops back the Roman Catholics but they did not go further than that or comment to condemn the bill at its base you see Christians today have lost their saltiness they go along with things the only cleric that I, I saw interviewed on TV was an Anglican homosexual who had in fact already adopted a child with his male partner you see the argument for adoption has swung on the fulcrum of choice those who are in favor of the same sex homosexuals or lesbians adopting babies have turned their attention the attention of the debate right away from what is best for the child to the issue of whether or not a man or woman has a right to make that choice the debate is now not about the child it's about a homosexual or lesbian's right of choice they and the government ministers claim that no exemptions are possible they can't change the law they say they can't make exceptions but you know there are exemptions in many of our laws for various reasons followers of the Sikh religion who are wearing a turban do not have to wear crash helmets everybody else does I think it's eminently, eminently sensible that they shouldn't have to wear crash helmets but nevertheless it's an exemption based on religion and faith I have to wear a seat belt but taxi drivers whether there's a passenger in the in the car or not don't have to wear seat belts 
looking at some statistics, at 17 you can go to war, but you cannot buy fireworks. At 16 you can get married, but you cannot be sued, sit on a jury, appear in an adult court, or adopt a child, and so on. People's choices are constantly being restricted, whether on religion, occupation, age, or other grounds. Smokers are now discriminated against. Now smokers are treated as being somewhat abnormal and pariahs in society. No smoking around children, but anybody may adopt the children. Roman Catholics cannot become a king or a queen of our kingdom. That's an argument on discrimination on religious grounds. And it's all to do with choice, not what is the best for the babies. It has become the same argument which the pro-abortion propagandists use. They have turned the debate about abortion away from killing babies to, to one of choice. Now it is not a matter of whether killing innocent babies and human life is wrong. It has become a matter of whether a woman should have the right of choice. The debate is not about the baby, it is about woman's choice. And I was looking at this, and in America, 1,452 black children are killed every day by abortion. Isn't that incredible? And think of all the others, if you add that onto it. And that's all right so long as the woman has a choice. Now with this adoption laws, it is the same. It's the right of homosexuals and lesbians to have choice. The children do not have choice. Well, you know, we could go on with this subject, but beware. The organizations and the people behind these laws are strong with wide influence and have a lot of support. The people who are at the back of the pro-abortion lobby are very strong. I was looking at the founder of an organization which is a very pro-abortion organization in America, Planned Parenthood, was a woman called Margaret Sanger. And you see, a lot of these people's ideas are totally anti-Christian. She was talking about blacks and immigrants and indigenous, indigents. And she called them human weeds, reckless breeders, spawning human beings who never should have been born. Referring to immigrants in her book, The Pivot of Civilization. And these are the people who now say everybody should have a choice. She didn't have a great deal of idea of choice for the blacks and the immigrants. And so we could go on, but enough about this week. We are living in the end times. And believe me, it will get worse. It will get worse. And so, 
let's move on. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. <clears throat> and we read uh, some verses. You know the background. The end of chapter 1. They had the Israelites said they would go up and fight. And God said he would not be with them if they did. They went up and fought and they were defeated. And then Moses said they were to turn. And God said through Moses that they were to turn and go into the wilderness. (coughs) Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. As the Lord spake unto me. And we compassed about Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. And command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir. And they shall be afraid of you, that ye take ye good heed unto yourselves therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you their land. No, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. <coughs> ye shall buy meat of them for money, that ye may eat, and ye shall also buy water of them for money, that ye may drink. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. These forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. And when we passed by from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir, through the way of the plain from Elath and from Ezion Gaber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given our unto the children of Lot for a possession. The Emmons dwelt therein many t- in times past, a great people, and many and tall as the Anakims, which also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites, the Moabites called them Emmons. The Horams also dwelt in Seir before time, but the children of Esau succeeded them when they had destroyed them from before them, and dwelt in their stead, as Israel did unto the land of his possession, which the Lord gave unto them. Now rise up, said I, and get you over the brook Zered. And we went over the brook Zered. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was thirty-eight years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, as the Lord swear unto them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from amongst the host until they were consumed. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead 
from among the people the Lord said unto me we'll just stop there this chapter is a kind of precy of the wanderings of the children of Israel through the desert they've crammed it all into about 14 or 15 verses 38 years wandering through the wilderness until they came to Kadesh Barnea for 40 years they had wandered to and fro to and fro throughout the wilderness until that whole generation of fighting men were dead until all those people who had been involved in the rebellion against God had died off and when we read on further we'll see that they, in this chapter it again refers to the defeat of Sion and Og king of Bashan and we discussed that in chapter 1 remember those two kings were also defeated And Moses is recalling all this just as the people were again just getting ready to go into the promised land. I can't help but feel sad at the start of this chapter. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness. As we said before paradise lost they should have been going straight on into the promised land but instead they had to turn and go into the wilderness what amazed me when I I, I was reading this was there was no hint of objection or argument from Moses Caleb and Joshua they were the ones who had maintained the word of God who had brought back Caleb and Joshua had brought back a good report from the land but as we said it was just the two of them against the whole of Israel and there was no objection they just accepted the will of God meekly and humbly you know I'm sure if I had been there and I had been Caleb or Joshua I'd have been inclined to say it's not fair why should we have to suffer for the unbelief of others let them stew in their own juice we'll go up into the promised land but this was God's ruling and was humbly accepted by Moses Caleb and Joshua I sure I told you before I remember I used to do a little bit of court work and I was coming out with a solicitor uh, one day and there was a woman with him and he had been defending this particular woman he had defended her uh, but didn't want to take the case up and had told her she didn't have a good case so she insisted they went to court they'd lost the case and they were coming out of court and I remember as well the woman saying that wasn't fair and he said 
Mrs. Fairness has got nothing to do with it. That was the law. <laughs> and this was the case. To you and to me, it doesn't seem fair that Caleb and Joshua had to spend 40 years in the wilderness with the rest of the people who had rebelled against God. But that was God's word, God's ruling, and these wonderful men just accepted it. What a wonderful man Moses was. You know, he loved these people. He loved the people, the children of Israel. At one stage during their wanderings through the wilderness, the people had sinned again and again and God was displeased with them. And you know, he threatened to wipe them out. And Moses, Moses approached God. And here's what he said. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. What an opportunity for Moses. God said, I'll, I'll dispossess these people. I'll destroy them with pestilence and I'll make you into a nation greater than they. But Moses said to the Lord. Moses loved this, these people. And he said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength you brought up this people from their midst. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by night and in a pillar of by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now what a wonderful speech Moses made God had given him the opportunity of becoming a nation greater than all the people round about him but no he loved those people and he was ever conscious of God's reputation 
amongst the heathen. He was ever concerned that God's name would be upheld. Are we conscious that through our through us, through through how people see us, people will form an opinion of God by our lives and by our conduct. That's how they know about God. That's how they see God. In us, we're supposed to be lights shining for Him, shining for our Lord. But what a meek and lowly man we have before us. God said, I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. He wanted God's will to be shown in these people, his beloved children of Israel. He's a lovely man, Moses. Think of the attitude of our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. O oh Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's the attitude I must seek in my life. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know, we often read 1 Corinthians 13, it's read at weddings and things. But the love and attitude which we must show is reflected in 1 Corinthians 13. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited. It is not unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. This is just the way Moses thought. He didn't put his own thoughts and feelings before those of the children of Israel. Many will say, that, that kind of love is not normal. You'll never get anywhere in this world with that kind of attitude. But for Christians, it should be normal. 
it should be if we are truly following our Lord as his as our example nevertheless not my will but thy will be done and then Paul in Philippines here's what he says Jesus Christ he says let him be your example in humility who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained but he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant a slave in that he became like men and was born a human being and after he had appeared in human form he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death even the death of the cross and Paul precedes this with saying let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you that's what he wants us to have like Moses Moses had that humble attitude and purpose always to the fore when he led the people through the wilderness Moses had it Caleb and Joshua had it do we have it they had to live these three men had to live for 40 long and testing years in that great and terrible wilderness amongst the people who were responsible for making them having to go through that every morning they got up they had to face that fact every morning they could see the children of Israel rebelling still against God and they had not any resentment towards them Moses loved them he rejected God's offer to be made into a greater people than they as I said to somebody this week how did Caleb feel every day how did he feel after 35 or 36 years of wandering around the desert basically they were waiting for the old generation to die off it took 38 years for them all to die off and I said can you imagine waiting for the old generation to die off he gets up in the morning and he looks out of his tent and he can see some of these old men doing their press ups and looking very healthy I wonder did he say I wish you fellas would die off no I don't think he did certainly Moses didn't he loved them he had a humble attitude we know one thing about these three men they never complained they never complained they accepted God's will for them in their lives what a burden they had to carry for 40 years 
a burden. Have you a burden? Here's what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle, meek, and humble in heart. This is the Lord Jesus talking. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is not harsh, is not hard, sharp, or pressing, but it's comfortable, gracious, and pleasant, and my burden is light and easy to be borne. And that was the attitude that Moses had through that 40 years wandering in the desert day by day he accepted the yoke which God had placed upon him if we come to the Lord Jesus with our burdens he takes those burdens and he puts his yoke upon us and that yoke is pleasant it's not heavy to bear And it is only the attitude, this attitude, that will get you through today and tomorrow and every day until the Lord comes back to take us to be with himself. Or we're taken from this world by death. Ah, but you say, people will say to you, you don't know what I have to bear oh it's too much Paul reminds us for no temptation no trial regarded as enticing to sin no matter how it comes or where it leads has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man that is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful. He's faithful to his word, you see, and to his compassionate nature. God loves us. He's not going to let us suffer something we cannot bear he can be trusted not to let you to be tempted and tried beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure but with the temptation he will always also provide the way out the means of escape to a landing place that's what it means the way of escape 
the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear it under to bear up under it patiently that's what we have to do when we have burdens God will always give us a way of escape but he will enable us to bear up under it patiently see what it says he will provide the means of escape to a landing place now, I was thinking about this you know we, we live here overlooking the estuary and the little ferry has been going backwards and forwards these last couple of weeks in the storms being buffeted about as it came backwards and forwards across the river it's had some rough crossings recently but when it turns into the quay it arrives at the calm of the landing place and the passengers enjoy the rest and peace there and that's what it said here in this translation it said that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently because he will provide a way out the means of escape to a landing place are you experiencing some rough weather present in our lives going through stormy waters take comfort God will bring you safely to the landing place in his good time we have his promise Jesus said I will never leave you nor forsake you never leave you nor forsake you do we really believe that in fancy I stood by the shore one day of the beautiful murmuring sea I saw the great crowds as they thronged the way of the stranger of Galilee I saw how the man who was blind from birth <clears throat> in a moment was made to see the lame was made whole by the matchless skill of the stranger of Galilee I heard him speak peace to the angry waves of that turbulent raging sea and lo at his word are the waters stilled the stranger of Galilee a peaceful a quiet and holy calm now and ever abides with me he holdeth my life in his mighty hands this stranger of Galilee come ye who are driven and tempest tossed and his gracious salvation see he'll quiet life's storms with his peace be still this stranger of Galilee he bids me to go and the story tell what he ever to you will be if only you let him with you abide this stranger of Galilee and I felt I could love him forever so gracious and tender was he I claimed him that day as my saviour the stranger of Galilee 